Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, how how old are we talking here? As, as young as you want to go. I mean, it depends, you know, did you always have something in mind or did something come to you later? When, when I was a real child, I, I wanted to be like half leopard, half human. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> leopard, rap, I was called. Um, I think when, when I was younger, though, I definitely wanted to have an impact on the world. Mm. I, I don't know if that was childhood dreams or just something but I, I knew I wanted to do something more than what everyone else is doing more mm. than just just going to work and being a cog I knew and I knew I wanted to have a positive impact in the world mm. now admittedly when I became a teenager and girls started talking to me <laughs> and I figured out what you know alcohol was mm. and got to university that that kind of got lost <laughs> a little bit in the way. Um, and then I, I studied materials engineering mm. at Loughborough University. Um, and I really, really loved that. Um, but my, one of my favorite modules was in corrosion engineering. Mm. And you know where they need corrosion engineers? Oil and gas. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Oil and gas. I really wanted to be a corrosion engineer on like offshore oil and gas because it still had that element of it's different. Yeah. I could, you know, you know, you, you get paid danger money and, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I know uh, you're offshore, so isn't it tax-free as well? You're, you're offshore. Yeah. You incorporate like scuba diving into your job. Yeah. Which, which I can't do, by the way. <laughs> I thought it'd be cool to learn. Um, and that, that was the, the future that I was, I was actively working towards. And mm. um, had an interview, had final stage interviews with BP and Total. Mm-hmm. Or Total, that's it. Um, and then the, the oil and gas crisis happened and then, and then that never got any further. Um, the, the news was never on in our, in our university house. Like, you know, it was always reruns of the office or peep show. Mm. And this one morning, morning I came down the stairs and the news happened to be on and it was BP announcing that they were making 14,000 people redundant. Yeah. And I just went, uh oh. <laughs> and later that day, yeah, they called me up and said my interview was cancelled. Two days later, Total called my interview was cancelled. You know, we already had flights booked to Aberdeen and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so I did want to work in oil and gas as a creation engineer. <laughs> okay, so I'll move straight on to the next question, um, which is, what do you do now? <laughs> I run a sustainability consultancy and <laughs> planify fight climate crisis. <laughs> You're listening to Series 3, Episode 8, and to my guest, Toby Green. This is another Zoom interview. Apologies for the sound. Recorded on the 28th of April, 2022. Evening, colleagues. Toby Green recently finished his PhD at the University of Leeds with a research focus on bioenergy. It was during the first year of his PhD that Toby was enlightened to the immense challenge of the climate crisis and decided to make his life's work tackling this challenge. 
During his PhD, Toby trained and certified in carbon calculation, carbon reporting, carbon reductions, and carbon offsetting. In 2018, he co-founded what is now MyCarbon with his best friend. MyCarbon is an environmental consultancy company specializing in net zero strategy and implementation. They produce greenhouse gas inventories, carbon footprints, uh, emission reduction plans in line with science-based targets and carbon offsetting strategies for businesses and organizations who wish to reduce their impact on the environment. To find out more about MyCarbon, then go to mycarbon.co.uk. You can also follow Toby on LinkedIn, Toby Green, MyCarbon. If you'd like to support working hours and help this show keep getting made, then please visit my Captivate web page. That's the hyphen working hyphen hours hyphen podca. So no ST on the end dot captivate dot FM. Scroll right down, then click on the support this show button at the bottom of that page. That will take you through to my Patreon. Please sign up there. If you are lead, it's a pound a month and there will be more material and information about this project going up there soon and going up regularly. If you are not lead, then please join me at the five pounds here. I have been panic recording interviews recently. I desperately need to get paid now. So what I did was I booked in a load of recording, loads more work that I don't get paid for, you know, so that I can't get any paid work. So I can't get paid. Why, why have I done this? Because, okay, because, because I want to at least make 50 of these. If it's all going to fall apart now, then I need to at least get 50 of these done, you know? So if you are leads and you're listening to this, then please do help the show. The podcast is still at risk. So any social media shares or mentions, any donation of monies, etc., are desperately needed and gratefully received. Again, please visit my Captivate webpage, the hyphen working hyphen hours hyphen podca.captivate.fm. Scroll right down to the bottom and click on the support this show button. Go through to my Patreon and please sign up there for a pound a month or five pound a month. Please, leads, come on this podcast, no matter what you do for work. Tell people who you think are interesting to come on the podcast and tell us about their work. Like, share, follow and subscribe to this podcast. I'm doing all I can to bring this to you. So if you do like anything about it, please follow and promote the show on social wherever you can. Please give money to the show and give me any feedback questions or comments that you have email working hours pod at western-studios.com or use one of my social channels links for those at the end of the show now please enjoy this totally free and totally ad free as far as i know episode of working hours with toby green from my carbon when was your sort of damascene moment then <laughs> what happened so so the first moment i think there, there, there are definitely two moments here the, the first moment was, so I got rejected, so I got rejected, the, the job office got pulled in my final year of uni. So I thought, uni's pretty great, it's going well, why not do a master's? So I switched from materials engineering to mechanical engineering, brought in my skill set, and then go through the process again, and hopefully drop my no, no problem when everything sorts, kick it back up. Mm. And it was during this master's year, I got introduced to a, um, so a startup company working in biofuels, hmm. um, in a really, really early stage, um, idea on napkin type of stage. Um, and he, this guy, you know, during that year, that, that final year of undergraduate, hmm. at least, um, me and my housemates, we, we did a project for BP, just like a student competition, how to reduce 
fresh water consumption within the oil and gas industry. Mm. And within that, we, we figured out what biofuels were. We thought, oh, if you could grow saltwater algae and turn that into a biofuel, you've sort of solved the problem. We did, we did pretty well with that and we learned a lot. And then, so coming forward to the master's year, I got introduced to the startup. And when I, when I met the, the guy running it, I had a lot to say about it. He was like, oh, wow, you know, come, come join the team. And mm. yeah, it was this really tight knit group. It was so innovative. It was so forward thinking, you know, you were really trying to work on something that was going to have this positive and that just lit a spark in me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how could have I just been blinded for the last say, five, six, seven years mm. and forgot about this? you know, fire and passion within me. Mm. And, and I was like, this is, this is it. This, this is the future. And I, I was really going for, for some sort of job with him, but you know, he, he never got funding because you can't get funding with a, an idea or a napkin. Mm. Uh, but I, I loved it. And I thought, you know what, if, if I do a PhD in this subject, in five years time, I'm going to be an expert in it and I'm going to be a really valuable to someone. Mm. And so then I went from Loughborough and I found a, a PhD in Leeds uh, mm-hmm. in bioenergy. Well, that's, that's ideal. Never wanted to come to Leeds, never wanted to do a PhD. Mm-hmm. Didn't even know what bioenergy was, but, mm-hmm. but here, here we are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, took myself up north, best decision I've ever made. <laughs> um, and it was in, it was the, the PhD course. It had a, a one year masters attached to the front of it. So yeah. I didn't really want to do this last year. Yeah. Just done I've just done a master's. <laughs> I was like, okay, it'll, it'll be good. And it, it really was a great year to, to learn really like the wider context of everything, like not just bioenergy, but the climate crisis as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it was that year, about halfway into it, where I had my own, I'll be allowed to sweat. Yeah. yeah. My own fuck moment. <laughs> this this moment of I like to call it of extreme clarity, where I really realised how in trouble we are mm. in the climate crisis, mm. and it was it just overwhelmed me. And I was like, right, I know I've got to do something about this. Mm. I know I have to do something about this. And then I struggled with how do I have my greatest impact? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, do I go into policy? Do I, do I go into politics? Mm. That, that's just not me. Yeah. Not, not a chance. That's not me. Do I stay in academia? And again, not for me. It's, it's too blue sky thinking in, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Like not enough genuine action. You know, it comes through it. Yeah. It, you know, in, in my, my and also it's not really the place for it either is it i mean it's a place yeah. to study and to learn and then you're supposed to go on and apply surely yeah that's yeah. That's, that's my thinking at least <laughs> um and there and there it was so i was left with okay it's private sector and i kind of knew what i wanted to see happen in the world mm-hmm. which was a process of calculating carbon emissions mm. teaching people how to reduce them mm. and then offsetting your emissions to have this immediate impact on the world. Mm. And 2016, I couldn't see anything out there like it. Mm. Maybe it wasn't looking in the right place or, or whatever, but there wasn't any of this. So that's when I knew that, and that's when in my head, my carbon was born, you know, talked to my, my, my best friend, uh, Michael, who's my business partner now, 
mm. sort of went through the idea with him. And I was like, dude, I'm really thinking about starting this business. And, you know, just to sound it off of him. And then the next week, he just flooded me with so much information. Mm. I was like, right, if you want to do this together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds much better than doing it alone. So like all the, all the regs and the like tax forms and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, the first bit is just registering the companies, the really easy bit. It's yeah. super simple. <laughs> Uh, so, so, well, how's it going then? I mean, it, it seems to be, you know, you, you seem to be going pretty well. What's, what's happening? Yeah, this, this last year has been more than I could have ever imagined. Hmm. Um, so, so just, just for clarification, I had the idea in, in 2016, mm -hmm. I, I was doing a PhD and Michael was, um, on a aerospace, uh, graduate scheme mm -hmm. at the time. Um. So it took, you know, it was, it was evenings and weekends and it was just this more of a side project that, that we were doing as friends that mm. was always keeping us together, something to talk about, something to do. Mm. Um, but we were all building up, building up, building up. And then suddenly in 2018, April, 2018, we had a, um, someone come to us and ask us for actually a piece of work to, mm. that they wanted to pay for. And we're like, oh, oh, okay. So that's when we made the leap to establish formally. Yeah. And so 2018, uh, to 2019, to 2020, to 2021, it was all quite ad hoc bits of work, you know, supporting some private clients. It couldn't have been that much just because of the commitments me and Michael had. Yeah. Um, but it was enough to, you know, start my carbon, how we really wanted to start it, you know, build our website, yeah. do a bit of this, do a bit of that. Yeah. Um, and then there was enough money. Fortunately, in, the, in our bank account, that when it came to the deadline of my PhD, I was able to to finish it, and then on Monday start full time with my carbon with a salary already there. Yeah, and that nice. then I, you know that was just for me, and they had that conversation with Michael of right now I'm going to give it a real go. Yeah, the risk is that the money that's left in the bank just gets spent on my salary, doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Are you okay with that? <laughs> because obviously half, <laughs> half was his, right? Um, to which he said, yeah, of course, you know, go for it and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, and after just doing a PhD and, and the master's for, for four years, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was another project on my own. Yeah. And start work on Monday morning when you've just kind of finished it. So it's like, because that's a big thing. It's just like... <laughs> You know, and there's no fanfare. I mean, you've done enough like qualifications that you know yeah. there's no big reward at the end. But <laughs> yeah, and so so my goal to him said, right, I'll give myself three months to prove that this is a sustainable business in the sense that it can sustain us too, mm. right? So I want you to quit your job and come work with me. Yeah. That's that's that was my dream. Yeah, um, I mean, it was a dream to start my own business like i never thought mm. that was actually going to come through so mm. that was goal one goal two was getting michael um and yeah fortunately enough three three months later um what happened in that three months was enough to give him enough confidence to say see you later well-paid job yeah i'm gonna go off and work on my own which i think is such a big risk yeah compared to what i did that that was the real risk yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, really, really appreciate him for that. Yeah, 
but then it, you know he played that quite well as well because he was you know he was in that well-paid job up until and you'd started and he's like okay well yeah. you know if it all goes wrong if it had gone wrong then he's only lost that money that would have been yeah. there but if there's enough for you to keep going and yes very sensibly structured yeah and so so he then came on in july 2021 and then from from there we absolutely blown ourselves up the water in my opinion you know our first sort of big activity and big kind of risk came at um was go, the decision to go up to cop 26 mm. you know i think mm. while i was going at the time we were living down in eastbourne so right on the south coast mm. and so the thought to go all the way up to glasgow for you know the best part of two weeks where we need to spend money on accommodation this that and the other yeah you know where we were really strapped for cash yeah we were like you know we got a project and we're like yeah okay we've got the money let's let's go because we need to be seen to be that yeah um and that was a fantastic decision <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, met some great people there who've really supported us since um but that also came at a time where we had our biggest ever workload from from projects yep we had um a really cool project that literally uh it was from brewdog and there was like it came in a few days before cop and the delivery was pretty much just after cop mm. so we did not sleep <laughs> at cool for about two weeks yeah. you know trying to manage workload that we had workload new workload from from brewdog mm. going to cop attending it doing the networking properly mm. and then as well uh, trying to do the actions that came from that Mm. But that two week stint of just laser focus, mm. you know, carried us well, really happily into Christmas, into the new year. Mm -hmm. And then since, since then it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, mm. and now we've, we've, we've got three employees on the way as well. Uh, we just sent out their, their contracts on the weekend. So that was nice. fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, back last year when we set our, our aims for year one, where do we want to be in three years time? Where do we want to be in 10 years time? Mm. It was in, in three years time. We said, we want to have three employees. Yeah. At the 12 and at the end of the 12 months, we no mention of employees that was yeah. never on our agenda, but well, yeah, now, now needs must. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, like within the space of about eight weeks, it went from okay, right, we've got confidence that we need to take one employee. Mm. And it was, oh, should, should, should we take two? Should, should we take three for two? And then we, when we met the candidates, we had a really tough time picking between three. Yeah. Um, and we've got a, we've got a board advisor. You know, he's, he's like um, a guy, a wealth of experience, absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. Here's Mummery, shout out to you. <laughs> um, and he kind of sat there and he kind of, said, guys, look at what you're forecasting or look at your current workload. Hmm. Just take the three. But yeah. Fuck it, take four. We're, no, we're not taking four. <laughs> three. We'll do three. We'll cross four when the time comes. Um, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely mad, but um, overjoyed. Let's <laughs> stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it, is it easing off at all or is it still at that? Is, is it still kind of pedal to the floor? Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's pedal to the floor. 
yeah. uh, especially now where it is the, the workload is high and we haven't got people in. Yeah. And it, it requires a lot of work employing someone. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. I didn't. <laughs> I, I thought you would come work for us. Awesome. Done. No, there's so much to do with the share adds on to the, what you've got to do. And of yeah. course, when they get here, we, we especially, um, didn't ask for any previous experience in the sector. Mm. Uh, there's, I think there's a huge talent gap within the sustainability mm. sector at the moment. Mm. We figured like, we can either overpay someone with some experience. Yeah, or we can get three fantastic people who, yeah, they might not know how to do carbon accounting, but if we learn how to do it, they sure can. Yeah. And then we'll train, we, you know, we'll train them up and yeah. then we've got the right people with the right skills. Yeah. So that, that was our approach. So obviously it's still going to take some time to get them up to speed. So yeah. <laughs> it's how, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's. It's a cracking adventure, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like... Certainly. And that's what I wanted, right? Yeah. That's that's what I asked for. I didn't want normal. I didn't want just clocking in at nine and going home at five. I, I wanted different. I wanted I wanted this experience. Yeah. I've got it. <laughs> so I've got a few questions coming out of that. I don't know if I remember them all. But firstly, uh, sort of, you know, having your business partner coming in. I mean... <sighs> The the change from, you know, you going straight off your PhD into doing that first bit of work for yourself, mm-hmm. like, and then having someone come in. So you've had the difference there. Do you think, like, do you think all the stuff that you managed to do when there was two of you, do you think you would have been able to kind of do any of that on your not own? A chance. Yeah. Not, not a chance. Whoever starts a business on their own, yeah. but hats off to you. Like if you're doing it all on your own, bloody hell, I, that's, that is way, way good. Cause where do you actually have the time to do the work? Yeah. That's, that's my thing. There is so much other internal activities that you've got to do that mm. I almost don't think about. And if you really are trying to grow a company mm. and you know, you're doing your CRM properly, you're doing your finances properly, mm. you know, you're keeping your profit and loss, blah, yeah, yeah. So I don't even know most of it is. <laughs> like, how do you do fit all of that in if that is you on your own? Yeah. You know, you've either got to have that financial backing so you can immediately employ people to do it for you. Yeah. Or, or you need your, your best mate and your business partner. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that, that's it. We, we're completely bootstrapped. Um, so, you know, didn't, didn't start with anything, no, no financial investment, still, still not. Um, and yeah, so you, you've got to have money or, or people, I think. Yeah. But like you say, going, going to cop as well. I mean, you already had some good connections. You had that previous work experience. So you, you, you knew some people in the, the sector mm-hmm. and that, that kind of area, but yeah, cop 26 must've been just huge for you of like, because you know, you're seeing that, and I mean, clients must have understood. I mean, you, like you say, you you had to be there because yeah. it's basically it's like that's what you're about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, and it's just you know, one thing that again is, is a goal of, of mine is to be seen as like a a global figure within mm. this space. Mm. And it's going, it's attending events like those that put you on that path. Yeah, yeah. If, if you just stay stay back and, and shy away from it, you, you're never going to achieve that goal of 
being seen as a global leader in sustainability. Mm. So, you know, it was so important for us to go, but at the same time, it was such a risk, like yeah. financially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but luckily, luckily we got it done and yeah, we got some big benefits for it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, that's all good stuff. Yeah. Um, right. What else did I want to ask about? Um, well, let's go through. So, I mean, what does it involve? I mean, like take us through a job, like, you know, where you just going around and sort of look in a room and go, oh, this is worth five carbon, add that up. And <laughs> How does it work? Uh, not, not, not quite, not, not quite. <laughs> I, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> if it was that easy, everyone would do it, right? <laughs> um, so our sort of key and core offering is um, taking people from the very start of their sustainability journey mm-hmm. to become sort of like industry leaders mm-hmm. in sustainability. And that's, that is all of the journey of net zero. Mm. You know, we need to be at net zero emissions by 2050 at the very latest. Mm. Um, so the process of that, it all starts with the calculation. Mm. So you've got to understand the problem before you can begin to solve it. So what are your corporate emissions? Mm. Now, corporate emissions, they're split into three categories. You've got your scope one, which are your direct emissions. This is anything you combust directly on site. Yeah. Now, if you're a coal-based power plant, it's the emissions associated to the coal you're shoveling into your furnace. Mm. That's it. But most businesses we deal with are coal-based power plants. Mm-hmm. So it's natural gas going into boilers to heat your offices. Mm-hmm. It's fuel that goes into company-owned vehicles. Mm-hmm. Or it could be if you're like a brewery or manufacturer, it's any process emissions that, that come off your processes. So fermentation produces CO2. Mm-hmm. So that counts. Scope two is the easiest scope because that's your indirect energy emissions. Mm-hmm. And that is simply emissions associated to your purchased electricity and your purchased heat and steam. And your scope two emissions are someone else's, your share of someone else's scope one emissions. Mm. So it's your share of the power plant down the roads mm-hmm. emissions to create your electricity. Yeah. Then you've got scope three, the wonderful world of scope three. Everyone hates it. I, I love it. I think it's the fun one. Um, where there are 15 subcategories within your scope three, and it's called your indirect other emissions whereby it is everything else across your entire value chain. Mm. So it starts with employee commuting, business travel, it's all your purchased goods and services. Mm. It's, um, you know, that, that includes your water usage, your water treatment, um, any IT. God, you then have your investments, your, your franchises. Yeah, there's, there's loads. <laughs> and it's so, so what you've got to do, you know, we, we talk to the client and we explain the different categories mm. and we've got a sort of data capture sheet that we have to give to them. And that's the only way we can get the information from them. Mm. The way. Mm. So they have to go through, provide us with all the information. Mm-hmm. We get that information and then it's using either sort of activity data. Mm-hmm. So. That's the, that's the ideal one. If there are emissions being let off directly on site, can we actually measure, measure them? Mm. Very infrequently we get that. 
Next is do it via, via like chemical equations. So like fermentation, you can calculate that quite easily. It's a nice, simple chemical equation for that. Mm-hmm. But again, very rare that, that we'd actually use that. Mm. So then the next step down is using sort of data that's available on the, on, on the internet. Uh, and we try our best to use open source data just so when we do report them, we can be nice and transparent. Yes. So we take emission factors um, provided by the like UK government, for example, and it could be say, right, you've used so many tons of glass in your manufacturing this year, we times it by the emission factor, and then that gives you the carbon footprint of your glass usage. Mm. And then you sum it all up, and then you produce a report in accordance with ISO 14064 part one and the greenhouse gas protocol. <laughs> so then you've got your carbon footprint calculation. There we can actually see, all right, where the hotspots, where the inefficiencies, mm. where are your emissions too high and what can we do about them? Mm. So then it's all about the reduction because the reduction is the most important activity because mm. we as a global society need to reach peak emissions by 2025 at the very latest. Mm. And that comes from the IPCC's latest report, mm. 2025 at the very latest. Um, and so when it comes to reductions, the global leading standard on net zero is called the Science-Based Target Initiative. And it's set up by UN Global Compact, uh, World, Worldwide Fund for Nature, WWF, mm. and several other organizations I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, but they essentially set out targets in line with limiting global warming to 1.5 and they have essentially guidance for different sectors on how they should approach reducing their emissions. Yeah. And so it's right, take that guidance, take the company's, the carbon footprint and the strategy, and then it's about Hit, giving them the target that they need to hit global warming to 1.5, but then it's about giving them practical actions that, and economically viable actions that will help them achieve that. So it's producing that reduction strategy. Mm-hmm. That's really important. And it's monitoring that reduction strategy, making sure they're doing that. And it, it can be very, very simple things like switch to a green energy supply. Mm. That can get rid of your whole scope two emissions. Yeah. But the scope three ones where it, is so crazy and it can get so complicated where the data is quite questionable in most areas. They're the ones that are really hard to put in a meaningful reduction plan in unless your suppliers have got their carbon footprint calculated. Yeah. You know, say, say we are using glass, for example, you say, say we're a brewery using glass. Glass is one of the biggest sources of, of emissions associated to a brewery. Mm. Cans are much more effective, mm. so much lighter, less material used, mm. various reasons. And so your strategy number one is, okay, use, use cans, right? Mm. But then if they say, no, we need to keep some in bottles, mm. well, how would you choose which bottle supplier to use in order to reduce your emissions if neither of them have got carbon footprints worked out? Yeah. So that then becomes the challenge. And you know, if you apply that to everything from paper usage, your transport, your distribution network, that's the, that is the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And then, so once we've got built that reduction strategy and we've, we've fixed that challenge for them, um, offset carbon offsetting is that immediate thing they can do mm-hmm. to mitigate that impact on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so you offset along your journey to net zero. Mm-hmm. And then once you're, once you've got to the point where, okay, you need to hit net zero, then it's about ensuring your offsets are from removable, removal based carbon credits. So from projects where carbon dioxide is actually being removed from the atmosphere. And that is the net part of net zero. So then your, your, you know, your emissions are balanced out effectively. Hmm. Okay. So let's, (laughs) no, but it's, I mean, it's pretty comprehensive sort of overview of the whole thing. Um, I mean, like you say, you know, you scope three of the kind of fun ones because that's where you're looking for a lot of creativity and a lot of like, well, what, how do you know, it's kind of, you're showing a business here are the kind of easy wins and you're making it easier for them by, you know, having that flexibility of like, okay, well you, you know, this is to do with your brand and maybe this needs more thinking about to make it more carbon beneficial, one of a better term. Um, where am I going with this? I've completely forgotten. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're giving a, like a whole scope of everything. You've got the areas to kind of investigate things. Um, that was it. I, w- I wanted to talk to you about the offsetting. Yep. So the offsetting, I mean, there's going to be a lot of skepticism. There is. Getting. There is. So have you like, take us through your, your position on offsetting, why you, why you think that have you been to some of these sites and like, what gives you confidence in the regulators and so on? Like what? That's sure. So I was really fortunate enough to, to be asked to be on a COP26 briefing paper. Mm-hmm. Um, this was towards the end of my PhD. My PhD had nothing to do with carbon offsetting. So it was really quite quite cool to be asking this. Um, it was a paper organized by the EAUC. It was like the sustainability body for further and higher education in the UK. Yep. And on the paper you had, um, you know, some of the best climate academics from around the country. You have two members of the IP, IPCC. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got professor, professor Piers Forster from the university of Leeds. who's a Nobel prize winner. Um, and then me. <laughs> I thought I was like, wow. Um, and it was, it was a fantastic opportunity to, what I brought was trying to bridge the gap between what is practical and realistic in real life to what academics ideal standards are. Mm. And so what we did is essentially came up with a set of principles on what is best practice carbon offsetting. Mm. And number one principle is reduction is the priority. Mm-hmm. So it's never just offset. Yeah. Because if you, in my opinion, if you just offset your emissions and no concern for reduction, then that's, that's greenwashing. Right. And especially if it's, you know, the term carbon neutral can be achieved very easily. Carbon neutrality is you calculate your scope one and your scope two emissions and you offset those mm. very easy to do. And can be done very cheaply. Mm. And so that's why that can be seen as such greenwashing, unless there is this reduction strategy to come hand in hand with it. Mm. So that's why reduction has always got to be the priority. Um, so we, yeah, so we wrote this paper, um, put it in for, for COP26 and we, we stand by 
the principles that we as a group of academics came, came about. Um, but offsetting is, it is a tool where it genuinely does help someone who has emissions that they are emitting mm. at least fund climate activities in a different location. Mm. These are climate activities that would not have gone ahead if it wasn't for the sale of carbon credits. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some very poor projects out there, mm. which is why a lot of due diligence is needed in when it becomes the purchase of your carbon credits. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the actual carbon number can be questionable. So one carbon credit should always equal one ton of carbon dioxide, either being removed from the atmosphere or avoided entering the atmosphere. Yeah. Now a lot, cause a lot of these carbon credits originate from developing countries because that's where that sort of additionality factors needed where the funds are needed. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of social benefits attached to them. Mm. Sometimes in, in my opinion, the social benefits are so strong that they outweigh the carbon accounting side of it. Right. Yeah. So to me, the questions asked on, well, is that one credit actually worth one ton mm. when your math doesn't take into account several factors? Yeah. And even though, yeah, you're still funding a really nice activity, are you funding that one ton? being removed or avoided. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where there's questions. And what, one of the biggest questions on sort of people who don't like carbon credits and carbon offsetting are generally around, um, red plus projects, Vera red plus projects. And this is where I'm gonna have to be very diplomatic around here <laughs> and sort of say that like one of the issues with, with this type of credit. There's a lot of work going into to solving these issues. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But traditionally, one of the issues is these credits are all based around forestry protection mm -hmm. on, a, on a project basis. And so what you have is someone in a country in South America, for example, who owns a bit of land, owns some rainforest, has said, look, he's drawn a circle around this area of rainforest and said, look, if I don't chop these trees down. Yeah. Provide me with some carbon credits that I can sell onto the marketplace to pay me in order to not chop these trees down, mm. which makes sense because we should fund rainforest protection. Mm -hmm. That person could quite easily chop those trees down and put a cow herd there mm. or sell it for timber, whatever. Mm. Okay. But what we don't know is, is A, was he actually going to chop the trees down in the first place? Yeah. The, one of the additionality sort of factors. And two is what happens to all the forest around this tiny area of forest that he says he's protecting? Yeah. You know, just because he's not chopped this area down, has he just chopped this <laughs> area down? Around it. Yeah. <laughs> but then this sort of is bringing into this whole new era of, of Red Plus governed by the, the UN. So it's UNFCCC Red mm. Plus. And it's all based on, on sovereign carbon. And this is, this is what I think is really cool. I, I think it's so, it's got to be the future in my opinion. And then hopefully COP27, we'll really see it come to fruition where it's based on countries as a whole 
and their uh, and their NDCs, hmm. whereby you look at forestation at, on a on a country on a national level, hmm. and you you take the net. So it's not no longer on this project by project basis. It's the whole country. Hmm. So company so countries like Papua New Guinea, who have for the last several years heavily reduced their rainforest deforestation mm. and been really focused on growing new trees, they actually are going to get some financial benefit for doing this. And the money's going to hit ground level as opposed to just on a project level, mm. if, if that makes sense. Mm. And so then it's all on a national level and the trade should happen nationally. So if a company in the UK bought a, a sovereign carbon credit from Papua New Guinea, mm that then comes over to, to the UK and it can count towards the UK's sort of global emissions, if, if that makes sense. Whereas if it's on a project basis, it can't be traced and it can't be counted. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, so I hope, you know, there's voluntary carbon offsetting is heavily unregulated at the moment. There are issues with it, but name one better way to fund climate action. Mm. I mean, well, I mean, like you said, the reduction thing being the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does get into a realm of, you know, with that and it's, and even with you get, you know, you get offsets and carbon credits and the sort of monetization of it or the way that we've thought about monetizing it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, they're all reliant on certificates and standards and believing people at a remote distance. And if you think of something of like, you know, light touch regulation in the banks, you know, if, if there isn't immediate oversight, if you're owning something on the other side of the world, yeah, you can't see what state it's in, really. Nope. Yeah. And you just have to trust what people are saying, you know, whereas if you own the factory down the road, you can go down the road and look at the factory and go, what, what's going on here? True. So I would say with, with, with carbon credit, they are heavily, heavily audited mm-hmm. in the sense that you have someone who designs your, your project, project design document. Mm-hmm. That has to go to a separate validation body mm-hmm. to say, yeah, if you do what you're going to, you say you're going to do in this design document, mm-hmm. then you'll get awarded so many credits over the project lifetime. Mm-hmm. The owner then has to go away and start the project. Mm-hmm. Then they have to produce a, a, verif- a greenhouse gas report to say, my project has done this. Mm-hmm. That has to then go to a separate verification body mm-hmm. who then verify what you've done over the first few years. Mm-hmm. It's only then can the credits be sold in the marketplace and that verification should happen on a periodic basis. Mm. So there should be enough measures in place to say the action is happening. But how would that be paid for then? Would people be, you know, would that be like a ratings agency where you, you, they have to, you have to kind of pay them to get the rating. So, and if so you the, project, them- the project developer will have to pay the validation, the verification body. And to whichever, whichever sort of standard they want to set it on, you know, whether they're going UN CDM, whether they're going Bureau of ECS or, or gold standard or one of the several others, mm. they will have to pay for that sort of service. Mm. But yeah, credit ratings that this is now a thing. Uh, we've got our, our friends at B, B zero carbon, they're sort of becoming leaders in credit ratings okay. where they are doing essentially just another overview over everything that goes into it and a real deep dive mm. into the projects to give that project a rating. Um, you've got a fantastic, uh, sort of, sort of tech company called Silvera, mm-hmm. 
who are using drones essentially to map forests. Mm. But when it comes to these forestry protection schemes and you're wondering what is happening out there, what is actually going out there, they're showing you know, satellite imagery over what's happening. And you can clearly see areas that be deforested that shouldn't have been. Mm. And so this is all helping bring that transparency into the marketplace. Mm. Yeah. Um, so why, why not? I mean, so I read a thing recently. It says that, um, so I don't know. It was a thing I saw online, so I didn't verify <laughs> it. I didn't verify it at all, but you know, it's something that's come to me. So, um, Britain has something like only 13% tree cover and it's one of the lowest tree cover in, in Europe. Um, why aren't we sort of reforesting here? So we are, we are, we are, yeah. we are, we are. Um, so, you know, there's loads of just tree planting schemes that are going on in the UK. Not, mm -hmm. not many, not enough, but there are, you know, there are loads, I'm going to say loads. <laughs> and, uh, but in terms of carbon credits, what we do have is the UK's Woodland Carbon Code, mm -hmm. um, whereby it's, so let's just establish there is a difference between tree planting and carbon credits from reforestation. Mm. I mean, you want to keep trees rather than plant trees. It's the older ones that have more carbon and so on. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, it's that audit process that comes from carbon credits that you sort of, you calculate how much carbon has been sequestered from the trees mm -hmm. and as they glow, as they, as they grow, you measure them, you count them and you can calculate how much carbon has been sequestered. Whereas when it's just tree planting, seed in the ground, see you later. Yeah. You have no idea what happens to that tree as it grows up. That's why tree planting is typically very, very cheap mm. and carbon credits, much more expensive than the forestation ones, but UK, UK wooden carbon code and yeah, it's doing really, really well in the mm. UK, but one of the issues with it is the fact that because it's quite a young scheme. Mm. Everything is in the future. Yeah. So we're planting our trees and yeah, we've, you know, there's all risks and yada, yada, yada to, to say that these are going to happen. Yeah. But they're all future based and what they're called, they're called pending issuances. Mm. And what, what you, what you receive is when you purchase a pending issuance and saying that, okay, at the year 2040, mm -hmm. that's when that credit's going to mature. And that's when it becomes a verified issuance. Mm. And so. The difficulty is, is that if you want to make claims against offsetting, so I've offset my 1000 tons, mm -hmm. you can't use a pending issuance to do that mm. because the atmospheric outcome hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So everything that goes through the woodland climate code, it's not offsetting yet. Yet. It's getting there. It's, it's trying to, you know, it allows you to offset in the future. Yeah. And so if you want to, you know, hit your net zero target by 2040, mm. my advice is, well, go out and buy pending issuances that will verify in 2040 and beyond mm. so that you've got that secured now. Mm. And it's the case that the Woodland Carbon Code need more people to be doing that. So more trees can go in the ground and be protected and monitored and ensure that they do grow up. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I 
don't mean to seem kind of overly critical and I don't think you're taking it that way anyway, but um, <laughs> I, like I'm on board and I'm fascinated by all of this. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'm just trying to think. So, I mean, we have kind of covered what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and then it got really complicated. I mean, yeah. this is part of the problem as well, isn't it? It's like, it's not easy it affects everything and it's it's everywhere and and everything has to change and but it doesn't mean that we have to live in caves you know yeah very true like it's it's easy in the sense that it's a it's a three-step process it's Mm. calculate reduce offset Mm. you know that that's it and then the reduction side we always like to say there's a lot of other benefits to the company other than just what benefits the climate Mm -hmm. you know you've got increased shareholder value Increased employee engagement, increased mm. customer engagement because customers are crying out for it. Mm. And then you, there is high potential for financial return on your investment. Mm. You know, whatever, you know, certainly our fees can quite easily be covered within a year mm-hmm. just based on reduction activities. But then if you, if you are to take even sort of like bigger measures as part of this, there is still high chance for financial return just because reduction a lot of it is efficiency mm. and making efficiency savings will lead to financial savings, financial gain. So, um, how do you calculate yourself? <laughs> well, <laughs> we have do you do it on a regular, regular basis? Is it like built into the company that, you know, every five years we're going to review where we're at and what we should be doing or. So we, so we will calculate as a cor- on a corporate level, we'll calculate our own carbon footprint every year and then we'll 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 offset that and it's it's that problem of when you are an sme we you know or a micro micro company at work or it's it's incredibly hard to to do anything more or any less yeah we're not we're not flying around the world we're not driving me and michael we both work remotely our employees are going to work remotely mm. yeah fair enough we've got to get them laptops and and stuff mm. It's kind of, it's kind of part of it, but that's going to increase our own carbon footprint. Yeah. So it's, it's at that smaller level, it's quite hard to implement those, those reduction activities. It's just, yeah, let's try and keep it as minimal as we can. Let's ensure that we do get the train when we see each other. Yeah. It's like Michael's based down in London. Yeah. You know, so we don't have cars anyway, but (laughs) (laughs) no, it's, it's that sort of process. It's okay. If we do have to go abroad. Can we take a train? Yeah. It's just try, you know, try and lead, lead by example. Where, exactly, where, where yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, are you publishing the reports as well? I mean, is that part of the plan? Because, I mean, it's, it's you, you sound like you, you're genuinely trying to go from a transparent kind of open approach and like you say, lead by example. So, yeah. So there's, there's different, there's different things, right? So we've got, if you're just doing it. You know, if we're just calculating carbon footprint, doing your reduction strategy and offsets, mm. we heavily encourage that that goes public mm. because it, it needs to. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I can't do what they do on their website. Yeah. That, yeah. That's up to the client. I'm saying, look, if you are claiming carbon neutrality, this needs to go online. And even in our report, it says, you know, where this report should be made viewable to the public. Mm-hmm. Because then we get onto certification standards, um, and in in the UK we've got uh, BSI, British Standards Institute, 
Mm-hmm. And they've got PAS 2060, which is their certification on carbon neutrality. Mm-hmm. And then they give you two options. One where you can self-declare in which the doc, your greenhouse gas report must be made public. Mm-hmm. And that's the one we always encourage because I say, look, if you get anyone to verify this, I guarantee you it's going to cost more than what it's going to cost us to do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ultimately you've done great work here. There's nothing to hide. Yeah. So, so make it public, you know, yeah. show it off, yeah. show what best practices. Cause at, at the end of the day, that's, we put our heart and soul into every report that we do yeah. to get that meaningful action. Yeah. And if it's just someone looking online, not even for their sustainability, but having to come across their sustainability page, sees what they do and says, oh yeah, that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that can generate f- further action. Yeah. And also people just admitting where they're failing and, and, you know, yeah. you kind of cop to it cause it's like, well, okay. You know, this is something that we, we, we want to try and address or that we can't address at all. It's like, you know, yeah. if you're making steel, you've got to, you've got to burn things at high temperature. <laughs> you know? It's true. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I'm wondering where to go next. Cause I'm, um, I think I can spend a lot of time on this, but I, I also want to go through uh, the other questions. So yeah. I'll start with kind of, let's go back to COVID um, and the lockdown and sort of where where were you in your journey at that can point? Can we not? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, were you still studying the business staff at that point or? Yeah, so I was, oh, so start all, jeez. March, wasn't it? Yeah, 2020 March, yeah. Yeah, which we had a bit of COVID. Then then we went into to proper lockdown about May time, wasn't it? Yeah, well, they, they sort of had the initial first lockdown in March right. and then it kind of opened again. But there were there were things that were locking down before. There was all sorts of like... Yeah, uh, yeah people... But, yeah, I was, I was definitely doing my PhD at yeah. that point. It was... Oh, that was horrendous. <laughs> that was absolutely horrendous. Uh, yeah, finishing off my PhD uh, during that point. And then, so that was March, was that 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Time's that, collapsed, it, hasn't it? It's just it really has. <laughs> so that would have been like May, May 2020, and then September 2020, um, or in that sort of summer period when we did really get hit with the lockdown. Mm. My, my partner at the time, she, she got, uh, made redundant from her job. Um, mm. no furlough, which I always thought was a, mm. was a real, real suck for her. Um, we, we also kind of said to together that we never wanted to remain in Leeds after, yeah. after my PhD. Like yeah. we always wanted to go off, live, live abroad, see, see what's out there. Mm so much pinging i'm sorry and so yeah so she, she we, uh, we decided that we wanted to move to switzerland mm. so in in september we moved to moved to switzerland and kind of had to deal with with their restrictions mm-hmm. um and they were to me it was it was funny right because everyone went back into lockdown in the uk mm. um where switzerland kind of had this really like tight measures but not lockdown for yeah. so long and then in october in November, I had to come back to the UK to finish off a little bit of lab work when the labs reopened. Yeah. Did my two weeks quarantine in Birmingham, 
with, with Michael and well, he, Michael was out at work because he was working in aerospace, you know, he, he had to go into the factory. Yeah. I was, I was in quarantine with his poor girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> for two weeks. But, uh, and then the last day of that quarantine on the Monday, we went into national lockdown. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that wasn't fun. Um, but luckily university labs stayed open. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that was about, but hey, so that was a month of, or yeah, just over a month, might be, I can't remember, of just dark November days. Yeah, that was all, that was the worst time not to get it finished. Yeah. And then some uncomfortable accommodation. Then it was back in Switzerland, yeah, into the new year. And it was really like head down, this PhD gets done by end of March, because that's when my, my funding was running out. Yeah. And more than not going to overrun. Yeah. Pretty sure of that. Um, and then it was, yeah, the start of my carbon, the sort of 1st of April. And this, that's when, you know, we were still in this funny lockdown. Yeah. In, in Switzerland, like real tight measures. And the rest of the UK was out and buzzing. Yeah. And that was really tough. Because all, all the Zoom calls with my friends, they stopped because they had bad things. Yeah, they, they could go outside. They could yeah. go outside like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, then it was the first few months of my car and it was, yeah, it was on my own. Mm. So it was, and it's all remote. Was that in, quiet. oh no, were you back in Leeds by then? No, I was in Switzerland. Was was like Switzerland. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until August. Mm where I was like, I'm going to come back to, come back to the UK and spend that summer working with Mike. So you gone full time. So that was our first time sitting down together for, and we, we stayed together for about three months mm. working side by side. And that, that was fantastic. That was, we were machines <laughs> <laughs> and it was always so much peer pressure of who's going to stop working first, mm. um, which was, which was great. And then, and then, yeah, then we went up to cop and then after cop, like, to came back to Leeds. Hmm. Would that always have been in your head to just do everything remotely or? It kind of, it kind of was, but I think maybe it had the benefit of, especially on the client side, hmm. that made video calls so accepted. Yeah. And this is how we do it. So that was fantastic. Yeah. And it made going out to Switzerland that much easier. Yeah. And that decision is your, oh, it's remote. And no, yeah. one, no one wanted to see it. So you, you were fine. Yeah. Um, you know, it did, COVID did kill a couple projects for us, um, that we were really excited to kick off. Um, but unfortunately we, we couldn't. So that was a, that was a stumbling block at the start, but mm. hey, hey, we, we move on. Yeah. Um, but no, if, if, if anything, it just gave us the confidence that remote working is absolutely fine. Yeah. We, we carry on. Maybe, maybe we'll have an office in the future, but yeah, yeah we've got office space at the moment. We've got shared churn office spaces here in Leeds and in London. Yeah. But. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll move straight on to Brexit to keep all the fun questions together. So, I, I mean, again, it's going to be like probably just impossible for you to say, because some, I mean, you weren't up and running as a business really sort of going into it. You would have started after we'd Brexited. It did. It did make me move to Switzerland in Victoria. Because <laughs> it was like. That and that was it. It was let's go now because if we go, we can't go next year pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 
you know, that's the only thing it really impacts me on is a rash decision to move to Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I want to see some of the world and kind of live somewhere else for a bit. And yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that, that was it. Other, other than that, I don't think Brexit really affected, affected us at all. You know, we still have internet, we still have European and further abroad clients. Mm. It hasn't, hasn't really stopped us in any way hasn't benefited us in any way, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, it would be really difficult to conceive of, like, you know, any kind of customs implications of just exchanging information or whatever. No, no. That, that's the thing, you can't stop at borders yet. Yeah, and the, by the, way. the only thing that might have affected, and I, I, I do not know enough about this, is that, you know, the UK has put on some quite strict targets for, mm. for companies, mm -hmm. especially compared to European countries about mm. their financial report, about their uh, sustainability reporting, mm. uh, you know, like TCFD reporting is now mandatory. So that's uh, client disclosure reporting. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, if you want to bid on a, a government contract worth 5 million or more, mm. you need to have an emissions reduction strategy. Mm. So there are there's things out there that the government has said, if you're a company of a certain size, you mm. must be doing this. Mm. Whether that would have happened with or without Brexit, I don't know. Mm. But mm. that's the only thing I can think of for the top of my head. It sounds like there's massive growth potential here, which means that, you know, it won't be long before you kind of, you'll have competitors nipping at your heels. So, <laughs> I mean, will that be a good thing or a bad thing? Are you very much in a kind of, the more people that are doing it, the better, because that's what we want. That's what I spent doing today. Yeah. Actually, market research and competitive analysis. <laughs> um, on day. Mm. Um, but, you know, you've got, there, there are some absolute giants out there who, who, are, who are crushing it and showing, you know, how, how great they can do. You've got, um, one of the biggest is a company called South Pole. Mm. Um, they were founded in 2006. And by a group of five, group of five entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. um, a few weeks ago, they reached unicorn status. Mm. Yeah. Um, they've got about 800 employees. Revenue last year was almost 250 million. Yeah. Like they're doing well and they're doing what, what we do, but on a much, much greater scale. Yeah. They're one of the largest uh project carbon carbon credit project developers in the world so they create their own projects and again that's an ambition of ours but that's future mm. you know the industry's growing at 11 percent wow yeah yeah like chinese growth levels yeah so you know <laughs> there's, there's big growth here yeah um yeah there's going to be competitors but there's such huge demand for it at the moment like yeah at the moment, we, you know, we talk with a lot of other small companies mm. who do work very similar to what we do. Mm. Now, fair enough, we've, we've got our own secret sauce, mm. but at the end of the day, let's, let's help each other. Let's help each other grow. Let's grow together. Let's mm. build it so that we're all doing excellent work yeah. that all benefits the climate. Yeah. There's no point trying to push each other down when we're only, you know, five, five people big. Like, it's no, yeah. yeah. You're not going to grow doing, doing that. You're better off all coming up together. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I think that's, that's, that's kind of why, why when I think on it, like there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Okay. I'll do the change question first, because I think this might be quite interesting. Um, so basically if, if there were any three things that you could change about your work today, what would you change? So you've got sort of carte blanche here. So any three things I could change about my work? About your work, yes. So, I mean, that could be more employees, more money, less hours, you know, <laughs> able to have greater reach, whatever. I think, I think what I'd, I think, I think a lot of this is that there's a marketing problem, mm -hmm. right? It, you've got to make sustainability sexy. You've got to make people really want it. So I'd have a, I'd have an expert marketing team because, mm. you know, what I really want is impact in the world. Mm. And if all I'm doing is taking people who have a business, who want to be sustainable and I give them that, then that's great, but they ultimately would have gone somewhere else mm. and done the same thing. Whereas if I can reach people who didn't want to do this. Mm and change their opinion and then get them to do it. That I think is real impact. So I it, somehow reaching those, mm. I don't know how to do because mm. I'm an engineer. Mm. I think that, that would be, that would be fantastic. Um, I'd definitely be working on, on carbon removals because we've, we've got too much carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in our atmosphere. So, you know, like the company based out in Switzerland is called, called Climeworks. Absolutely. Everyone who listens to this, please, please look into them. Because mm -hmm. um, it's a company that's genuinely saving the world. And they work on um, direct air carbon capture and storage, in which they, they suck air out in the atmosphere with some big old fans, mm -hmm. do some cool chemistry with it, and then pump it into into rocks underground where it becomes mineralized and it's stored there for a sort of like a geological time scale, right? And if we had loads of these, <laughs> like, like it really got, you know, could pump finance in to scale these operations up as well as scale up nature-based solutions, mm. that'd, that'd be fantastic. And then again, like investing in renewables, mm. you know, green, get the, get the grid green, et cetera. I think that'll be some big ideas. Um, in terms of tying back, yes, that would also be lovely. Um, you know, just enough that I can go to the gym for a couple hours a day and have time that you can have this, you know, the, the free headspace right now. There's so many things spinning in my head and it makes making decisions and doing the little tasks really difficult. Yeah, and you can't leave it at the office because it's you. <laughs> You're the office. <laughs> and, and, and like I run, so I get, it sounds silly, but you know, if, if I did six hours of work a day mm. and gave my absolute best to those, you know, three, two hour blocks, mm. that's ultimately how I work best. Mm. And, you know, if I had a nice routine where you could do, you know, your morning routine, a bit of training, mm. come back, two hours of work, have a lunch break, maybe do some live admin, a mm. bit more work, go back to the gym, finish that, then finish up your work for the day. Mm -hmm. And then have like that, that to me is ultimate life balance. Yeah. And that, that would be fan, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, 
how, how I get there on figuring that one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing to figure out when you start working for yourself. It's like, how do I like to work? When do I like to work? What? what the, and that, that is it. Like it's the, the thought of, I absolutely love what I do. Mm. I get to wake up every morning and speak to my best friend, mm. which I think is fantastic. Mm. And it's such a great thing to be able to have. And I know that the work that I do is having a positive impact on the world. Mm. So when it is late and you are cracking out another carbon footprint report, and you really don't want to write it, mm. there's this underlying motivation within you to get it done. Mm. But ultimately, yeah, well, you are your own boss. If I don't want to take a project, I don't have to. I yeah. live it my workload, but I do want to create and build. And so you've got to put that time in and, and that work in. You've got to create like a mental matrix of sort of like, there's a reason to do this. It's like, you know, yeah. who, who cares about this? <laughs> I'm the boss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I care because I care. <laughs> and and the, these are the reasons that I'm yeah. giving myself to care. Uh, yeah. How much does social media play into your work? How much has that got you work? How much does that, like, how much of your day do you have to spend doing it on? Like, how much does it affect work for you now? Link, LinkedIn is the best tool mm -hmm. out, out there. And I say this for any professional. Grow a following mm. because whether or not you're, you're looking for a job now mm. or you want something in the future, if you've got a following and you're, and they're following you because you're showing, you know, giving, just giving them some value every single day, mm. that is absolutely huge. Um, and it would have wonders for your career. Um, it was quite early on where we, you know, we were posting on LinkedIn like a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but we realized we, you know, after our first 12 weeks, we did sort of a bit of analysis to go, where did our first few clients come from? Because we were cold calling, we were cold emailing, we were doing it all. Right, LinkedIn, that seemed to be doing a bit better than average. Okay, let's spend a little bit more time there whilst still doing the rest. And then putting that little bit of more time in there really then took off. Um, and it was, you know, just, just for instance, I, I realized that if I, commented on posts by like big names, mm. then I was going to see more mm. and, and it was, um, poor diplomatic. It, it was James Watts, uh, <laughs> Brewdog, and he was posting about sustainability mm -hmm. and I don't know what goes on inside Brewdog. You know, I've mm -hmm. had a great working relationship with them. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just posting on sustainability and I was, <laughs> I was a mega fan of their mega reports. Mm. When, when they came out, I thought, I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, I thought they were a great job and they were written with uh, Professor Mike Berners-Lee, who's like an OG carbon footprinter. He's literally written a book on it, How Bad Are Bananas? <laughs> yeah. right, it's, a, it's the carbon footprint of everything. Fantastic. Um, and I used to, when I was right, doing cold emails, you know, <laughs> Our target audience at, for that sort of little stint was breweries and distilleries yeah. because Brewdog had brought out Mega 2.0 and I was like, here's what Brewdog have done. Mm. You can do exactly the same. And it was like sort of that sort of opening line. And, um, you know, James put a post on it and people would just slate it, absolutely slate it. And they hadn't even read it because yeah. if they'd read it, they'd know what they were saying was utter bullshit. Yeah. 
And so he was just going through the comments and just correcting them. <laughs> and it was, that's all it was. I wasn't trying to get anyone's attention. Yeah. I wasn't trying to shout about anything. I wasn't trying to sell myself. I was just giving a little bit of value yeah. and correcting where they've been mistaken. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately that got picked up by James, who got his marketing director to get in touch with me. And then we did a project for Rudolph and then that went well. And then I ended up writing Mega 3.0. Mm. And I was, this was at COP26. I had a day where Mike was driving us up. I was on the phone to Martin Dickey in the car driving up to COP26, which was freaking mad mm. to think that this was happening only a few months after going full time. Mm. And then got to a point where I was sat in a brew dog in Glasgow, laptop open. I was on a call with Mike Berners-Lee mm. about the brood. And I was like, well, how is this happening? It's like being sat in <laughs> Harry Potter world. It's like being sat in Harry Potter world talking to JK Rowling about how I should write the next Harry Potter book. That's genuinely what it felt like. To me. It was incredible. And LinkedIn has just brought so many opportunities to us. Like mm. we don't do any outbound marketing. Like mm. absolutely no need for it. Because mm. LinkedIn has got us connected now to so many people, so many partners. Well, that's it. And you've got good names there. So like, you know, you've already got that client list of like, oh my, yeah. oh, they're working for this company. All right. Well, they must be legit, you know. Yeah. Like um, I, I was asked to go into the hot group mm. or for, for Earth Day, you know, FTSE 100 company mm. and to speak to... 15,000 employees mm. on the climate crisis. Mm. That wouldn't have happened without LinkedIn. Yeah. It's just thing, things like that. And it is, I think it is so valuable, so important, whether you're at early stage in your career mm. or, or, you know, maybe later on, but mm. just start growing, just start posting about what you're doing, what you're interested in, share a news article, give your opinion on it. That, that's all it is. And you will you will see the rewards from it, like no, no doubt. Mm. Cool. Um, I mean, from a carbon cost perspective though, is it, I, I mean, is it the cost benefit analysis of it? Is it, is it good to have all that content? I mean, sort of posting every day and you're putting stuff out and like you say, you're trying to create value, but are you always creating value? Like, is it worthwhile to just be posting, 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 or should the content be sort of you know, more prestige because you are putting it online. Like what's your, the, the, the carbon footprint of a LinkedIn post is so minuscule. Mm. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Honestly, the, the way the world is in at the moment. Yeah. yeah. There are so many bigger things yeah, to, yeah. to tackle yeah. than worrying about if you're putting a post up or not. Mm. You know, it's like saying, oh, like you can save your carbon footprint by not sending that email. Mm. You know, don't send the thank you email. Mm. You're going to send the thank you email. It's just, it's, 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 it's things like that. You know, if I post every day and don't go on holiday to New York, well, there we go, done. Or, you know, like, you know, that's, that's one ton compared, compared to grams. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's the difference, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, really minuscule. Uh, we do, we do have some information on it. I can't remember the top of my head, how, how sort of big it is, but it will get weight. And who, who owns LinkedIn? Microsoft. And well, there we go. They've got a fantastic sustainability sort of plan. They've, they've got loads of green, green servers, right? They're carbon neutral. Mm. So yeah. 
<laughs> Solved. <laughs> They're already pretty green. <laughs> so um, are you taking any kind of, I mean, obviously you're then reliant after you've done the service of people reporting back of how much carbon they've saved. But I suppose in that initial instance, you've got that estimate of like, this is how much you're going to save. Um, like, are you taking a collective total just for your own interest of like, oh, I've already saved this much. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. We were supposed to, but when it got into the task of things to do every week. Yeah. That's a lot of work for not necessarily. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah it was just one of those extra little things on the dashboard. We were like, no, <laughs> Friday afternoon. No. Maybe a special piece of work for one person after, you know, you've been around for five, 10 years or whatever, of like someone would go out and look at how much. Yeah, there's, there's an employee out there who's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've pretty much gone through most of my questions there. I mean, we've talked quite comprehensively about most stuff. Is there anything that we've not covered that you want to cover? Anything that you, you kind of think of? I can only just say like maybe on a on a personal level, like, what I think you can do for the climate mm, yeah, crisis. Yeah. And honestly, as much as people talk about action and stop talking and have action, mm-hmm. I think one of the best things we can do is talk about it, mm. right? Talk about it with your friends, you know, at the pub, you know, have it on your mind that, so that when it does come to making decisions, it's, it's there and it's, it's in part of this thought process that you're having every day. Mm. You know, it's read up on, on the climate crisis, mm. learn about it, talk about it, help educate your peers and your, and your family, mm. start challenging your favorite brands that don't have sustainability at the front of their business. Mm. And the brands that are sort of promoting sustainable items, item products, services, and make sure they are actually sustainable. Mm. It's, it's, I think it's just talking about it getting onto your minds and then that will have the influence of getting a business mm. change what they're doing. Mm. Uh, you change the way we vote, you know, so we are picking the leaders with, with green, green policies. Mm. I think, you know, if we, everyone is just talking about it more and more and more, yeah. it's on our minds more and more and more. Yeah. That's got to lead to the actions. Yeah. And I would say within, you know, like. Do it within your workplace as well. Like ask about what we're doing, you know, what are we doing and what can I do and what are we going to do <laughs> and ask at job interviews as well. Like what, what's your policy? What's, what's going on? Was there anything else? Oh yeah. So we'll do you the, the socials if you want to give us, um, so obviously you're on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, Toby, Toby Green. Um, and then we've got our My Carbon page as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the easiest one to do. It's just mycarbon.com. Uh, the website is mycarbon.co.uk. .co.uk. I engage mycarbon.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably think of a, a ton of other questions as soon as we stop. <laughs> uh, but I think I've covered most things that I need to cover there. Wonderful. Um, like, uh, I mean, obviously you, you're very busy, but are you open for sort of anyone getting in touch? Is it? Of course. And sort of price-wise, is it, you know, do you need to be at a certain level of turnover or anything? And also we help businesses from, from one employee all the way, all the way up to, to multinationals, mm. right? Um, if you're a startup, you know, we, we recognize how hard it is to be a startup. So we do try and work with them in 
cheaper rates or if there's something else that we can do. Mm. Um, but, but typically for, if you're just an office based business, mm. um, a carbon footprint remote, carbon footprint report might start at 800 pounds. Mm. If you're a manufacturer with a single manufacturing site and it's more like 1600 pounds, but it really depends on, on your business and your activities and, and how we price that. But mm-hmm. we, you know, we try and, you know, our competitors will charge three, four times as much as that. Mm. And that's because they can, you know, they've, they've got the big names to get, to go for it. But at yeah. the same time, I want to facilitate climate action. I don't want money to be, to be stopping that. Yeah. So yeah, if, if price is ever an issue, people can always, can always say. Thank you again to Toby for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests and thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. And of course, most of all, thanks to you, my dear listener. Come back next week to hear me speak to a mermaid. How will they cope with all the new swimming spaces that are created by climate change? So we have some great climate projects in Leeds, don't we? Climate Action Plan, Sail, Quantum Source, and now My Carbon. And I don't think this scratches the surface of all the regenerative work going on in the city or the attempts to build resilience. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have known about any of these organisations if I wasn't doing working hours. Maybe I would. I'd hope so. Maybe I'd know the names of some of these things. Maybe I'd give them a follow or a like on something. Maybe. But it's really great to hear them talk, hear what they get passionate about in their work. Better than reading copy, isn't it? I don't know what is going on with this show anymore. I have lost control of it. It's too expensive to run. It's too time consuming. It's emotionally exhausting and none of it needs to happen. Well, no, this discussion needs to happen. Maybe not like this, but we do need to have more discussion about work and how we look at our social issues with our work in mind. And we need to hear more of that conversation from the people doing the thing. And we need to hear more from the people who live directly around us as well. Look at how much knowledge and expertise is in this city at just 30 odd episodes. And I haven't even scratched the surface of it. Just think what a thousand of these episodes would be like. All those different voices and professions and opinions, all that knowledge and experience from people that you know, or your mate knows, or your mate's mate knows, or being able to listen to someone that you will know or will work with, or that you'd love to know or love to work with. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm doing something different to every other political, business, lifestyle, documentary podcast that's out there. I'm focusing on one city as my subject and on one subject with a set goal. I'm using the city that I know best, a city I was raised in, one that I left and I returned to. I'm looking at my city in a way that complements my experience of working in the private sector, the voluntary sector and the public sector of minuting board meeting notes and meeting VIPs and of mopping floors and filing paper and of everything else in between. I know what work is, but I can't answer for myself what work is for me, other than it is not good for me, but it's marginally better than the alternative. Life in the 2020s, eh? There's no escape. Okay, that's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. If you're listening to this, I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're such a person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done your recording for working hours yet, then don't wait. Email me now, right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com.
If you fancy being my guest, put guest in the subject line of your email and add a short bio in the message. Stick in some suggestions of your availability and I'll send you a release form and a Zoom invite. If you'd like to be on working hours, I will need a two-hour window for us to record in. I can record in your work time or during your downtime. I have been recording interviews for working hours for every year on Zoom, but I can also record offline. You can appear on working hours anonymously or you can promote yourself and or your company or brand cleaner or owner what is your experience how do you feel about work what do you like and not like what do you do leads be a part of local history have your voice heard share your wisdom give us the inside skinny this is your show leads and it's all about what you make of yourself do you know what you're doing if you do then come and tell me all about it come on working hours even if you don't know what you're doing i certainly don't email me right now quick get a pen workinghourspod at western-studios.com. If you're allowed to do that, that is. If you're not allowed to do that, then tell me why. If you and your business aren't ashamed of what you do, then let's hear all about it. What good are you doing the rest of us? Are you socially useful? Am I? Is this? Send your feedback, questions, comments, and queries right now to workinghourspod at western-studios.com. What is happening, Leeds? Find out by following this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads to find out when new episodes are going to be released. Or just use the hashtag hash Working Hours Pod Leads on either of those sites to find me. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Western underscore studios underscore leads. I'm also on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Simon hyphen Treen. Treen is T R E N. Or you can go to my company page, which is linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Western hyphen studios. If you want to make a podcast in Leeds, whether it's for a cause, a publicity campaign, a product promotion, or your own passion project, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, for support, advice, and guidance on anything podcasts. At Western Studios, you work with a real life lawyer who is actually in Leeds, who you can actually work with on making podcast content. So don't wade through articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts. Just get on with it. Western Studios can make your podcast with you or even for you. Western Studios can take on your podcast's boring, time-consuming and painful admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about it. I feel your pain. For a charge, I'll share it. Writers, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content and made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I'm one of them. Help me make Muck for Brass, a series of short stories, poems, performers, whatever, all published as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. I want to make it a podcast. I get practice making the show and you get a finished, performed, and published version of your writing. Um, It's also, I want to do it on a pay-as-you-feel sort of deal. Businesses, campaigns, brands, got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to start. Hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. So what do you have to lose? And what are you waiting for? Save yourself the hassle and the headache and make your podcast with a Leeds-based, in-real-life, 
podcast producer, that's me, Western Studios leads. Once again, please let Working Hours get big and strong by joining its Patreon. Support Working Hours by becoming a champion on Patreon for a pound a month. You can inspire me and motivate me with a membership and maybe one day even be helping to cover all my costs. You can chat to me there and see me do a monthly live stream where, again, you can chat to me all about the show and, God, do I need to find someone to actively share this project with. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod right now and sign up, please. And or go to Kofi, that's K-O hyphen F-I dot com forward slash working hours and join me there for a pound a month and get access to the working hours discord and chat to me there i will be putting up additional material on kofi once there are any members there please remember to like share follow and subscribe to this show every little bit helps tell your gran tell your housekeeper tell your gardener tell your parole officer tell your boss tell leads and i'll see thee next time our kid working hours is presented edited and recorded by simon treen for western studios leads limited the music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.